0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
1: Welcome back to the Hidden Yardage Podcast podcast. Right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcasting Network, I'm Mark Lane. You can find me on Twitter, at the Lane, where you can get all sorts of interest, interesting takes on the Dallas Cowboys and the rest of the NFL, and this show would not be possible without the partnering up with Sean Martin, who does an excellent job as a front-page writer on com, You can catch all of his action there. And where can they catch you on Twitter, Sean?
2: Hey, thanks, Mark. You know, we never got an update, by the way, on uh, if you tried that burger recipe that I gave you. Uh, But I am at Sean Martin NFL if you want to come chat.
1: Well, good grief. Let's just start the show. Arrows a-slinging, why don't we?
2: (laughs) Well, the only reason I bring it up is because I've been thinking about the next time I'm going to go home in New Jersey and I'm trying to plan something fairly soon in the next month or so to go give the family a visit. And, you know, I know when we did that segment, um, I mentioned a couple of things that you can probably only really find on a burger in New Jersey with the pork roll and the pork roll egg and cheese style and all of that. So I was thinking about those things and I'm like, we need it. We need to get Mark's take on the pickleless cheddar bacon. Mostly, I think it was burger.
1: Okay. Um, I'll be honest with you. I You said that, and I didn't go back in the show note. I mean, and go back and listen to the show, that portion. And so I didn't. It's just completely slipped, and I've been swamped, and I haven't had a chance to do it. So, with pen in hand, with paper
2: on my desk. <laughs> I can hear it. But there, was the, yeah, there we go.
1: Let's go ahead and write down what's on the sean martin burger
2: man i feel like i'm in like a war room now and we're gonna talk quite a bit of draft today so that's exciting but
1: yeah yeah uh you know gronk the pen over it here we go
2: oh yeah um uh yeah like i just said i mean i don't think you're gonna be able to find pork roll but if you can you need to try a, a fried egg and pork roll with cheddar cheese on your burger but if you can't find it still put the cheddar cheese on there still Probably put the fried egg on there because that's an acquired taste, but it is good. So we're going to go cheddar cheese, a fried egg, uh, obviously put some bacon on there because that just makes everything better. Um, okay. And yeah, no pickles, some ketchup, or some barbecue sauce. Depends on how you're feeling, what goes best with the cheddar. Usually barbecue is good with with that melted cheddar. Uh, so some ketchup and some barbecue sauce, maybe. And... Uh, that's about it, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's going to be difficult to find that type of combo that you're talking about in the south, in the mid-south where I live.
2: You don't sell cheddar cheese in I can
1: No, they do. But, I mean, if I roll up to the uh, burger establishment that has its farms in Tuttle, Oklahoma, let's say, and I say, hey, give me a pork roll and a cheddar cheese. No, yeah, you with will. Fried, like the fried egg alone is just gonna have people <laughs> thinking that this is a Martian burger.
2: <laughs> yeah, you you will most likely not be able to find pork roll. The one time I did see pork roll at an ATB here in Austin, I I took a picture of it and sent it to some friends back home, but I did not buy it just because you know in the moment I didn't have a use for it. But uh, I was surprised that I saw it down here. It wasn't the same. It was like a little like sack type package where it was like one one piece that you have to cut but like in new jersey you can just get the pre-sliced one and it's real easy to just throw a couple slices in the frying pan and it goes with almost any breakfast uh being yeah, that you would not be able to find if you find any pork roll at all i'll be amazed so.
1: yeah that's what that's what i'm saying there's some elements of this that are just going to you know i don't know that i'm going to be able to try it so we're going to have to do an approximation if you will uh get synthetic ingredients so if i let's just put it this way when you go to the burger establishment that was founded in corpus christi texas on august 8th 1950
2: <laughs> why do you know what, today
1: <laughs> what would you order We're talking... so what would you order from there because that's basically how this is going to work
2: we're talking water burger here uh we could be was that what got founded in corpus christi i, I wouldn't know these things
1: yes that's part of Texas history, man.
2: Got it. Uh, I feel like someone told me that recently, so maybe I should know that. But, you know, um, I, I changed it up at Whataburger, man. I, I let the board, you know, I let the board come to me. And we just, uh, we take the best, the best pick available when you pull up to that speaker, man. Uh, the Sweet and spicy bacon burger. I actually think they might have discontinued, at least the ones that I've been to, the mushroom Swiss burger. I haven't seen that on the menu, but sometimes I would get that. Uh, The patty melt's good if you want to change up the bread, you know, like if you don't want your regular bun, if you're just feeling something of Texas toast, you obviously, you got to go with the patty melt, and then every now and then, I'll get one of the chicken sandwiches, like the the chicken strip, the barbecue, and I got the new buffalo chicken one, you can change it up that way, but yeah, sweet and spicy bacon burgers, it just rolls off the tongue, usually, if I can't decide, and I'm at that window, and I'm on the clock. Um, All right,
1: on sweet and spicy bacon burger, though, what are we getting?
2: to me like what am i changing up from what
1: are what what condiments and stuff yeah
2: uh usually just a spicy ketchup that i use with the fries too and you know i just and everything else that they put on it i don't really get all customizable with it
1: i'm gonna have to find someone that can make that pork roll fried egg thing so i (laughs) because i think that's actually what we're going for here so uh yeah that's my homework assignment for this week
2: Finding Portco and um, in Arkansas. Man, you know we're getting deeper to the offseason when we make the task that hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Relative to the Cowboys, and this is a Cowboys show, I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff that we still haven't even tapped into, for example. I would like to ask you someday, uh, just what's your worst or best Cowboys comboed with life memory, you know? Um what are the yeah. top five games that you had to miss for work, or you know, and I don't mean to be like the the grinding wheel where all the sparks fly of imagination and and show topics fly off from here, but you know those are some ideas i've had i mean that's what I'm saying i mean they could god forbid shut down the league for a year i've I've got topics okay so
2: You know, bring on the off season. Yeah, we could definitely have some fun with those two right there. So looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, all right. So, but really, on tonight's show, folks, um, we're going to explore just really, again, the draft. Everything's about the draft at this point. And we've got the mock drafts and everything. And people have, for example, well, um, Houston they trade up ahead of the commanders to get Kyle Hamilton or uh, the Saints trade up here to get that one and all of this wheeling and dealing and everything, but Dallas doesn't seem to be a part of it. And I just that's why I bring the question to you, Sean. How would you feel if Dallas traded up from number 24 overall, to get their guy.
2: I would not be a fan, it doesn't seem. You know, we've been talking about this draft ever since we didn't even really know what direction this team was going to go, right? You know, we didn't have any kind of view on what was going to happen for Mari Cooper and what they were going to do in free agency, possibly, to address the offensive line and some other positions. And we were just kind of taking this broad view to start on what might happen at 24, which is where they're still slated to pick. And we talked about how it was difficult to find value, you know, in a lot of different positions where you could really feel great about taking that first round guy and then not turning around at 56 with a picking in the second round and saying, man, there's not much of a difference between the guys who are still available at the position we just spent 24 on and that player. So it's hard to narrow down, you know, where you're getting the best value at 24. That certainly changed. We're getting closer to the, much closer to the draft. And we know a lot more about these teams' plans because of it, and they're focusing on you know the offensive line and it seems to be lining up nicely for a left guard like Zion Johnson or Kenyon Green. So those are certainly certainly players that provide that type of value and, and that I do think are going to be there. The one position you can make an argument for where I definitely don't like the guys that you would get at 56 as much as some of the top names that might make it the is wide receiver, but I don't think there's anybody that you can go up for to get an even better receiver. You know, maybe Jameson Williams from Alabama, or somebody else above you wants to take a risk on him coming back from an injury. But if you're the Cowboys, you're already counting on Michael Gallup coming back from injury ACL at that. So I don't even know if Williams makes it to 24, how interested they'd be. But if a guy like Traylon Burks or Drake London is there at 24, which does still feel like a real possibility, then you can definitely spike my interest. that's why I don't think trading up really makes a whole lot of sense right now.
1: Yeah, if you were to trade up, let's say, without going crazy um, in terms of a first and a second, as was seen in uh, 2012 as part of the package when they went up and got Morris Claiborne, um, you know, for the Cowboys, it's it's really looking like if you don't want to spend that type of capital to get your guy according to the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart let's say you did it you did the first and the second then you're looking at uh, about the 14th overall pick um if you're if you just do the first and a third you can go up to 19 with the saints i believe that would be the saints second first-round pick of the draft. So, hey, maybe they might want to do it to build capital and so forth. So, it's that's really what you'd have to do in order to get in the thick of things to go get your guy, if like what you're talking about, or they really like how things are looking or the draft didn't, you know, went in a different direction. And so, they may have a chance at a better pick. Um, like for example, I'm just throwing this out there. I, I don't you know I don't think it would happen necessarily because I think Jacksonville's crazy and they may want an offensive lineman with um Doug Peterson there. You got the Jets and the Giants also with twin first round picks in the top ten and they could want to build. But what if Ikim Ikwanu is there at 14. Do you talk to the Ravens? Do you say here's my first and second? Uh,
2: I've, I think you do, to be honest. Uh, I, I mentioned last week a friend that I have at NC State, and that's where Ikwanu, of course, went. and He actually had a chance to be in some classes with him and you know, he's told me how high character of a guy he is and how much he focuses on Did, did he let him borrow a Scantron, though? Uh, well, hopefully it wasn't the like the rectangle bubble one. If he did,
1: I'm sorry to derail you, but but he was there. He's gotten to know Icky, like that's what I'm saying. Uh, what kind of guy is he off the field? Would you take him at fourteen?
2: Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm looking at a CBS Sports mock draft that I you know I plan on bringing up a little bit later in the show as well. We'll go more into this, but right now the pick at fourteen is another name Cowboys fans will be familiar with. George Karloftis, uh, defensive end from Purdue, and I've spoken plenty on the show about not necessarily wanting a defensive end in the first round for this team, but Karloftis is a pick there that has been mocked as low as 24, going as high as 14 here. Uh, I do think the tackle, if you're going to trade up for one for the Cowboys, I know Evan Neal was popular, and I could certainly see why, but also I'm a big fan of Charles Cross from Mississippi State. He's marked six overall, so I don't think you can get that high. And Evan Neal was marked one pick ahead of that at five to the Giants, which, of course, makes a lot of sense because we know how long they've been trying to rebuild that offensive line for. So in that range, you're not going to get a Neal or a cost. And then if Aquano, you know, is sliding past them, first of all, something went horribly wrong in this mock. Aquano goes to the Texans at three. But if all three of those start to slide and then you have a chance, well, you know, you're looking at the teams that might need a tackle and you're saying, you know, all three of them can't get drafted at the same time, so let's wait until one of them goes and then try to make our move up. That I could justify. That I could certainly see this team doing, um, and they would be getting a hell of a player if they did in either of those tackles.
1: Yeah, and I think that if Dallas trades up, it would be in a scenario where they really like Kenyon Green. He's falling and they got a shot at them, and they just want to go ahead and do it and get it over with. Or if one of those really talented offensive linemen is within reach and it costs you a first and a second to do it, I don't think that they would trade up for, you know, Traylon Burks or Drake London or a receiver. Uh, we know that if Kyle Ambleton were falling in the mids that they wouldn't even dare,
2: Jordan Davis, because,
1: yeah, that just you know goes against the philosophy, but in terms of an offensive lineman that they like or a really talented one that's just dropping, I think you might see I mean I think it's plausible to see the a trade up again, the point value chart that I was referencing is based on the jimmy johnson point value chart that he came up with when he was doing all his wheeling and dealing back in the early 90s so uh but really a lot of people in the industry use it to just get a general idea of how much it costs to move up and move down and so forth so i think that again you know it just depends on what's there and if they get a really highly graded guy that can contribute immediately then i don't think the fans will pan it necessarily
2: yeah you know this team has been trying to sell fans on things that most of us aren't buying all offseason long, right and a trade up in the draft just in this particular class based on where the depth of the class is and what this team's needs are. Yeah, you can trust them just a little bit when it comes to, you know, them trying to really make this a critical draft for the for the roster build right now and banking so heavily on getting some starters this month when it's when it gets going in two weeks here. But a trade up in this draft just screams that they feel like this roster is, you know, one player away, right? You're trading up for that, that one guy you need. And that's just not the case. I mean, again, they could try to sell us on it, but I don't think anyone's really buying that this is a Cowboys roster that's one player away. And if it is, name the player, you know, and then how high do you have to go to get them? You might not even be able to get up there. You're not going up for a Thibodeau or an Aiden Hutchinson or, you know, uh, this mock draft that I've referenced a few times here. You know, you can't even get yourself in reins based on where Cross and Neil are going. So that's why right now either staying home at 24 or trading back makes just a whole lot more sense because. Who are you going up to get? What are you paying to get there? And how much is he helping you win now? And how much does he really transform this roster overnight more than a really good left guard in Kenyon Green or Zion Johnson would, more than another plus receiver at starter plus starter at receiver would in Brooks or, or in London who could easily still be there at 24. So that's why uh, you're in a pretty good spot right now.
1: Yeah, and that's why I... – <laughs> I look at this draft, I know everybody's looking at it in terms of they need someone that can contribute immediately and uh, all this stuff, but I'm actually looking at this because I need players that can play in the future because my 2019 class more than likely is not going to have anybody that I retain. Tristan Ill, he's his contract is going to expire at the end of the year. Connor McGovern and maybe one of those guys comes back and is your backup of of some kind, takes a team-friendly deal. But Tony Pollard, they probably let him go and get a nice little compensatory for him. Uh, The the cornerback, Michael Jackson, I mean, I don't – and the defensive end, Joe Jackson, one of those guys, I think Joe Jackson is with the Cleveland Browns. Donovan Wilson, he's more than likely gone. Uh, Mike Weber. They took a a running back out of Ohio State, and uh, you know he's, and then Jalen Jelks in the seventh round, and then there even the undrafted element didn't really, uh, you know, bring any fish in the boat. In terms of you had Jalen Guyton, the receiver, and where's he now? So that 2019 class really isn't going to have anybody that has any complementary role on the roster going forward isn't going to provide any depth. So I need all of my picks in this particular class to replace them and just kind of make it through this year and then get my 2022 class ready to contribute and ready to go in 23. So I, that's why I would just really, uh, really watch how the draft goes and just go best player available and if it's a receiver at 24 okay if we can't trade down because it's just difficult to find a partner okay that's how i look at it because the the theme of last year's
2: draft was you know not getting anything from not seeing what these guys have done for you in the most part as well. So, you know, that's a great point on 2019, looking ahead to creating some depth issues on the roster and we very well might be saying the same about last year's class and now you're trying to correct all of that in the one year's draft this year. You know, uh, it's a big ask. You know, I do like all these names that were floating around at 24 and I do think you're going to get a plus starter there and they're going to come in right away and contribute. Let's assume they get all that right. You know, hats off to them, but there's a lot of work left to be done uh, to make up for some of those things you mentioned in the rest of this draft and maybe even in fringe free agency afterwards.
1: Yeah. Because you look at the 2020 class, uh, CD lamb and Trayvon Diggs are going to be a part of the conversation. Okay. They're going to be a part of the pie going forward. Neville Gallimore. Maybe they got to make a decision there. Uh, Reggie Robinson, that's Houston's problem. Tyler Biotic I, he could be a part of the conversation, and that's what I'm saying. Is that particular class uh, is really going to be part of the the you know just the guts of the roster going forward? The 2019 class, relative to the roster, it's gutless. So I've got to replace those guys now in 22, and and really hope that I nail the picks.
2: Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. One of the topics we have lined up for uh, uh, later in the show here is, you know, guys that you would look at this roster to trade away to maybe make those types of moves in the draft where you're getting more depth and acquiring picks and even more starters and all that. And, you know, a year ago, that question would be so easy to answer because it was this wide receiver room where, you know, you spent so much building it up. And so now if you do need to take away from the strength of your team to go address something else, maybe you can. I don't think many fans wanted them to touch the receivers once they built it up because, you know, the whole analytics trend tells you that if you're great at passing the ball, you can make up for a lot of other issues. And we thought the defense before Dan Quinn did what he did was going to be a bigger issue at that. So we thought maybe the passing game could make up for that and really just be this dynamic uh, offense that was going to cover up all your other woes and Dak Prescott MVP comeback player of the year type of season. That's why you don't touch any of the receivers. But if you had to, they were there. And now we're sitting here talking about maybe drafting a receiver, if not at 24, even trading up for a receiver. So it's crazy how fast life comes at you uh, in the NFL. And the Cowboys are realizing that at the wide receiver position, no doubt.
1: Yeah, and that's why it's always funny. Every year in training camp, they got depth. They got depth. Oh, yeah, wait till You're not the this hamstring uh, fairy comes through the roster, okay?
2: Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, some of those early practices or basketball practice on grass, to use your phrase, but even still, you know, you end up with some non-contact injuries and things like that. We'll be talking about some, you know, six- and seventh-round picks needing to fill into some of these holes when you do have some injuries. Which is always
1: funny because then they get – Way too many reps, and then way too much hype, and then how's Dallas even going to cut down to 53 men by the end of preseason? It's crazy, I tell you. It's just, how is it even, you know. Okay, but you you brought it up. uh, Players on the roster that you would trade. Um, It's still a little bit early, but this tends to happen, used to sometimes. Uh, when you get into... Well, it happens to other teams, let me put it that way. And for the Dallas Cowboys, it happened back in 2008 when, heading into that draft, they traded linebacker Aiken Adele and tight end Anthony Fasano to the Miami Dolphins and picked up some picks that way. They also made a deal with the Tennessee Titans to pick up uh, Pac-Man Jones. And so, you know shuffling players right before the draft tends to happen so with that being said not saying Dallas is going to do it this year but if you were are there any players on this roster you would deal uh before the 2022
2: draft this was a depressing exercise man I was looking at this depth chart I'm like man I can it's like a Jenga tower one of my favorite bars here in Austin has a big Jenga game you know outside and it's fun to just walk up and start a game with people and That's what this felt like in terms of, you know, man, if I pull this guy, like, yeah, you know, the idea of a trade is you're giving up something to get something. So if I pull this guy, it's because I'm, I think I'm getting something that I value elsewhere. And, you know, maybe that balances itself out, but I don't even know where to pull from this roster. So I have four names that I don't think are all that great. And, you know, certainly that wouldn't get you much, it seems, but I hinted at last year's draft class, not really doing a whole lot yet and, I'm going to choose to believe that this roster isn't really in as much of a rebuild mode as some fans think there's been kind of a divide this off season as far as, man, what are the Cowboys even doing? Is this a soft rebuild, but they just won't use that word? Or are they really still trying to stay in there with Dak Prescott and, and win now, if you will? And so I'm not a believer that a year in the system for some of these picks that didn't work out so far last year really means a whole lot. You know, this isn't the Bill like Patriots. I don't think a year in Kellen Moore's offense or in Mike McCarthy's system really gives any of these guys an advantage to where you can't just draft somebody this year and say that they're immediately ready to pick up where the guy you're trading left off or even be better. So with that said, I have, like I said, four names. So we're going to go Matt Farniak, who only really played in that Week 17 game against the Eagles and showed a little bit into a offensive lineman is your biggest need right now. But again, you know, does a year in in the system. Give Farniok any value over a guy that you can get in the fifth, sixth, or seventh round this year. I don't necessarily think so. So maybe another team wants him to be their backup slash fringe starter. Uh, Neville Gallimore is the name I put on this list. I do like what he brings a defensive tackle. I think a lot of fans do, but I don't think he's realized his full potential. I think the hype has gotten a little bit overdone for a player that hasn't done as much as you know we think necessarily he has. And I think and another reason I think you can trade Gallimore is this defensive end group. I think it's going to be a little bit better than people expect, which means you can use a guy like Chauncey Golston and, of course, also Degu-Zilla at defensive tackle. So I think you're going to be okay across this defensive line if you wanted to explore a move with Gallimore and kind of sell him on his pass rush ability and give a team another pass rush that's trying to Staying contention, Luke Gifford at linebacker. Yes, he does play special teams. That means John Fassel is not going to want to let him go. But again, can you get another backup linebacker? So a special team move somewhere along the way in this year's draft, I think you can. Even as high as fifty-six might be a spot where you you consider a linebacker. And then Connor McGovern, you know the writing is on the wall that this team doesn't want him starting any games this year. So again, you need the depth, but can you get something else for him? Maybe another team sees, he's been on a couple teams already. And if there's one more out there that sees some value in McGovern and you take a flyer on an extra dart in this year's draft or never pick or something along those lines, then maybe he's a guy you consider. So I got Farniak, Gallimore, Gifford and McGovern.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity V-A-N-29.com.
1: That was kind of the difficulty in this exercise was looking at guys that would have value over what you could get in the draft. Some guys that could shore up the positions for you heading in the draft so you don't need to waste any picks on that particular position. So... Like you said, Farniak, I mean, is he better than what you can get in the draft? Um, there's one crossover guy that I picked, and it's Neville Gallimore. And it's for the reasons you said. Is because you've got Quentin Boana. You've got Carlos Watkins, who can play some inside. You've got Chauncey Gulston who they're going to let play inside some. You've still got a year of Tristan Hill and you've got Osa Odiggy so you there you go. I mean I can effectively find someone who can replace Neville Gallimore. I got a little depth there so I can afford it. Plus he's also let's see he's twenty twenty. So if the team gets him they get two more years where they have to negotiate with him. So that Gallimore was someone that I had um and this one would hurt the offense. But, again, I, I was swinging for the fences when I went through this exercise. Tony Pollard, I would deal Tony Pollard. Well, I
2: fought about putting him on here, but then it's like, man, it's already, you know, so many people are frustrated with Ezekiel share in this offense. And if you trade him, I mean, is it just so every single carry? Like, you know, what's he going to look like by, you know, week eight if you don't have a Tony Pollard? to hand the ball to, but I did think about putting him on him.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, exactly. It would impact the offense. Now, you're the team that has ambiguity at running back, and you're really hoping that you know, Ryan Nall is going to take the carries and Jaquan <laughs> Hardy, but but or that you get an undrafted free agent, and he does a great job, but again, like I said, I wasn't you know, um going with, uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, playing it close to, okay, what's the analogy? I wasn't basically, uh, I was putting all the chips on the table.
2: There we go. You know,
1: to make it fun. So, that's why I said Tony Pollard. You
2: definitely got to give up something to get something. I mean, I see. like. Yeah, that's what
1: I'm saying. Now, if I get Tony Pollard, I get a good return on him. Watch this one, though, Sean. This one's crazy. Terrence Steele. Trade Terrence Steele. And then, what are you doing now? What are you doing at your bookends? And, oh my gosh, the right tackle. If so you get for
2: the quan woo cross?
1: That's what I'm saying. You get enough of a flip on Terrence Steele, and then I get a tackle that I can kick out to right and is also my transition... For Tar- for for Tyron Smith, but how much? When how much father Smith? time finally, you know, uh, Ben. That, that's why you have deal
2: Like, I mean, that's why you have a guy already here, so that you have that depth when you have to move on from Tyron. But how many, You know, it's so frustrating because how much time can you spend in one off season chasing your own tail, man? Like, you know. It's like, oh, we traded Amari Cooper, so now wide receiver goes into conversation to 24. Oh, we just traded Terrence Dio, so now we have to immediately draft a tackle. Like, What are you doing? <laughs>
1: uh, well, Josh Ball, though, oh, because don't, I'm don't banking give me Josh on Ball. Josh Ball to take, the, to take a step.
2: He's done um, nothing.
1: Well, yeah, he's done nothing to this point. So that's what you do. So what is that? That's the three guys. So my fourth guy, that one is – where it really gets hard is because they're, you know, and I did, and this is goofy, but I figured, but again, this is something you would do at the end of preseason when somebody's quarterback room has just been hit with injuries. It I don't think it works now because the upside on the quarterbacks in the draft is better than what's on tape with Ben DiNucci, but I would try to trade Ben DiNucci, and those are my four guys.
2: How confident are we that Ben DiNucci already isn't on the one roster that values him more than any other?
1: That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Pittsburgh guy. Because... And his
2: head coach is from Pittsburgh, so that's a bit of yeah. A... That's
1: what I'm. That's what I'm saying is really his best shot is to be with the Dallas Cowboys because if he goes anywhere else. A, I think his development gets rattled, and that's the end of it. B, I don't think anybody else is going to say, you rode the roller coasters at Kennywood, same as I did, <laughs> and I want you to stay, okay? No one else is... In- Look, here's a- I'm going to give life advice. You find someone that sticks up for you the way Mike McCarthy sticks up for Ben DiNucci, you can accomplish anything.
2: Oh, there we go. I mean, DiNucci has the... Uh some of the support of the Jones family as well. And, you know, McCarthy is going to keep guys that the Jones want around as well. So that's why, uh, Tanucci has some supporters in the building and you know, he works hard and he's in the QB meetings and he does some scout team work to be a, that mobile quarterback, but, you know, throwing the ball is just such a, a limited trait for him where, you know, mechanically and, uh, physical traits wise, it's just not, you know, something that, uh, you really want to see too much of on the field. And so, you know, if another team wants to develop that, though, and or wants to get what the Cowboys are getting out of him right now, which is, again, that scout work and the practice work and the backup ability with some experience, then, yeah, you could be in the market there.
1: Yeah, like I said, this particular exercise, this particular year, this situation, you know, it's kind of like pulling up to your favorite drive through and there's a beef shortage, and you just settle for the chicken products, okay? When really what you got to do is go to the next drive through with, you know, beef products in order there. Just not settle or really force anything, which is what this would be. But, hey, you know, it's a podcast, and we're allowed to have fun, and we just did. And Sean said that I, uh, that I had a stultified idea by trying to trade terrence steel are you throwing shade on the burger? are
2: you throwing shade on the honey bar- let me get this right it's honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich right yeah uh,
1: no i wasn't i was throwing shade on my own ideas
2: gotcha you know it, it was a depressing exercise like i said there's just not a lot of strengths to pull from on this roster where you don't immediately create another need and they still sure have enough of those right now and Like I said, it's so fascinating because last year we'd be sitting here saying, oh, it's easy to pull from this great wide receiver room, and even that would be met with some hesitancy because you want the receivers to be one of the strengths of your team in today's NFL, and they certainly had that, and that's not even the case anymore.
1: Yeah, and it's not even a case where it's, well, who cares who the receivers are? Their offensive line is just the great wall of doubt. No, it's not really. It's kind of like – you know the picket fence of Dallas or something um it's just it's not what it was, but it's still an effective barrier and uh yeah i that but still I, you know those are the guys that I would pick, and I think your philosophy the way you approached it is what you may see from Dallas, like I said, when they're cutting down to their fifty three man roster by the end of training
2: camp. Yeah, they'll be looking at this and, you know, taking a linear approach at every position where it's like, Hey, is this guy better than what we currently have? Is this guy that we drafted able to step in and fill this role so that we can move this, you know, player for another situation or another pick or what have you. So, you know, those, those decisions are coming very soon and they're going to be very important because you don't have a lot to work with from last year's draft class. So, it's going to be a very you know democratic process if you will where you're gonna have a lot of fresh faces from this year's class in here and you might be asking a lot of them you know certainly whoever you at 24 is going to step in and be a starter we all think right away and even in 56 too so but beyond that you're going to be looking at these guys to really uh, push some guys some other guys off the roster almost immediately and that's typically not how the cowboys have operated in roster building but You know, they've hit this point because of some of their own mistakes and some of their free agency decisions and things like that. And I don't think they should be scared of having to go that direction. They do trust their draft room more than almost any other team. So if that's the case, you know, part of the draft process is admitting when you're wrong and knowing what you got wrong so you can learn from it. And so they'll do that and take a look at some of these down the roster guys. And if it's someone they drafted, say, hey, we got his replacement this year. Let's go ahead and move on and uh, you know, take a look at this guy that we just got on a rookie contract. You can go fill that job.
1: Yeah, part of the draft process is admitting you were wrong. So, Sean, I have to ask you, who are some Cowboys that were drafted that you were totally wrong about?
2: So, again, I got four names on this list. They're all kind of here for different reasons, which is interesting. But I'm going to start with a name that I think should be on every Cowboys fans list if they were going to do this exercise, and that's of course Mika Parsons because nobody saw him being just this insane pass rusher, so linebacker, slash Swiss Army knife uh, type of player. You know, were, I wasn't even sold that he'd be, you know, a justifiable first round pick type of player. Um, I did see, you know, some linebackers, skills, with him, and I had some questions about some other parts of his game. But the way he comes off the edge and, man, quarterbacks, like they didn't realize last year. I don't know, maybe this will change this year. We'll see. But, like, it was amazing to watch quarterbacks. They like, wouldn't be able to tell that it was Parsons who has the speed that he does. So they would always plant their feet and think they had more time to throw. It's like, oh, someone's coming at me, but I can stop here and make this throw. But then, like, it's Parsons coming down on you, and his closing speed is ridiculous. And he would just make these insane plays from brains where – you know, the quarterback could be on the ground and the Cowboys defense would force a punt. So, of course, what Parsons brings to this team, I guess we can say for everybody, but the Cowboys has been unexpected. Um, but he's certainly a guy to build around, and I didn't see that. As the case when they drafted him in the first round last year, I have Donovan Wilson on my list. He was a six-round pick in 2019. He's on here because, you know, again, it's a six-round pick, so you're not expecting a world out of him. But he was a guy that, almost universally was considered a draft steal, and he could have went a lot higher. And I thought the coverage goes would be better with him. That's why he's on this list. You know, he has contributed. He has found his role as a safety here. He hasn't had much help as far as teammates into position, you could say. But his kind of his best role has been down in the box a little bit, which I didn't really see on his tape there at Louisiana Tech. I thought you could transition his game to be a lot better in coverage, uh, which hasn't really shown with the Cowboys. That's why he's made, he's on my list. Clayton Van Der Es, I was in person at AT&T Stadium when he got drafted in the first round of 2018, and it was the the writing was on the wall for the Cowboys to make Van Der Es their first round pick if he was there. So it certainly wasn't a surprise. I spent hours trying to watch his tape, trying to see what they might, what the Cowboys saw in him, and at least his rookie year, he proved us all wrong. Those of us that doubted him, at least, and I have no shame in saying I was one of those people. So I did not really see. A great player with Boise State and Leighton Van Of course, he's had some struggling years with the Cowboys as well, but the way he came onto the scene in 2018 uh, gets him a deserving spot on the list. And then Ryan Switcher going all the way back to the fourth round of the 2017 draft. I was a huge fan of Switcher's game coming out of North Carolina and it just never really worked out here in Dallas.
1: Yeah, Leighton Van Der Esch, he did kind of take people by surprise. In 2018, because the pick was kind of panned a little bit. But then, you know, he came out of the gate productive, and one of his best games was that New Orleans game when they handed them their second loss of the season and uh, broke their winning streak and kind of established themselves as one of the top teams in the conference. uh So, yeah, it really looked like Leighton Vander Esch was just going to be the super Sean Lee. And uh you know not not so good to this point then ryan switzer, Ryan Switzer, you know he grew up a cowboys fan, I think in West Virginia, and
2: well, give it two weeks, and everybody's gonna be growing up a cowboys fan,
1: yeah, oh yeah, definitely, um, you know, I wrote about that one time about a particular pick that did that, that was a highly drafted pick that said the thing about oh, i grew up a cowboys fan and all this stuff and i just wrote you know if you're really a cowboys fan and all of this figure out a way to bring the team a super bowl okay yeah do. that's like the biggest thing that any cowboys fan listening to this right now would do they would cut off a finger okay like in you know, at uh, poor Mr. Satrial in in the Sopranos, okay, in the flashbacks. They would do that for probably a conference championship game appearance.
2: Yeah, no, okay? no, no
1: doubt. So don't tell the fan base you grew up a fan unless it comes with, and we're doing something about the drought, dang it. And with that, Sean just went silent. Oh, I am sorry.
2: I like – yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that that was the end of a point. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're spot on about, you know, the Cowboys fan uh, being passionate. I mean, there's no doubt. And you know, you'll hear these prospects say it. And Stephen Jones even at one point mentioned this, I think, you know, a year or so back that all these newer fans, though, you know, the, the fans that could be the age of this year's draft class, they haven't really seen the team win. So, like, you're right about the fans that have being desperate to want them to get back. And even the ones that haven't, of course, want to see them win because that's what you do as a fan of a team. But I don't know if some of these younger generation fans, you know, the ones that were even after my time when I came up as a fan, um, have that same drive to say, like, oh, we have to get back there because referring to back there is before they know anything. So, yeah, they want to see it, but they don't have that perspective on, like, Man, the Cowboys need to win again because that's just what they did. The perspective is more, you know, they need to win because it's just my team and I haven't seen them win. Um, and that's kind of a different type of fire I feel. But nonetheless, these these prospects are still going to say that they're Cowboys fans, and you know we're, we're going to see that. So.
1: If you want a younger fans' perspective, at least a third of it that you can listen to the first in ten podcast, which hey came out today. On the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network, Dave Starchio, Tony Catalina, and Aiden Davis. He's a young buck that is on the podcast, and you can check them out, same as you do here on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. One of those young cowboys that grew up a fan and everything, it was a highly, you know, drafted pick, that is one of the ones that I was wrong about, Taco Charlton. In 2017, because I'll admit it, when they took Charlton over Watt, I was like, people are overreacting. This is going to turn out well. They don't know what they're talking about. They did the same thing over Travis Frederick and Sharif Floyd. You know, this is, you know, who cares? It's a a new era. Well, yeah. They eventually (laughs) became teammates with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's how right I was.
2: You know, it's interesting. I was hosting a, a sports show uh, at the time of that draft of Charlton was in, and me and my co-host did a, went real heavy into draft coverage that year, and we both took an interest in watching tape around that time and uh, you know, studying these players, and we both ha- had an agreement on Charlton. I think my co-host put it best. He said, every time I turn on Charlton tape and he's playing some left end there for Michigan, I feel like I'm watching Chris Wormley tape. Uh, who was the right end at the time and, you know, really made more plays. and was kind of that more athletic rusher, did more, was a more finished player. Um, and he ended up going on to the Baltimore Ravens as a third round pick. And the Cowboys went and made Charlton their first round pick, even though, again, he was mostly a left end. And you had DeMarcus Orange already here. So it was a confusing pick at the time. I was not happy. Uh, you apparently were. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it didn't work out for him and
1: Well, it wasn't so much happy as it was, oh, they're overreacting. What do they know? I mean, they did the same thing over, like I said, Travis Frederick and Sharif Floyd. Yeah, they did. So, you know, uh, it's a new era. They don't blow draft picks anymore with Will McClay. This is going to work out. And it didn't. I mean, it it just didn't. And... Here's what's fascinating. Two picks, two players that I wanted to see make their way to Dallas. I actually saw them play in a bowl game together or against each other. TJ Watt and Corey Davis. Because Wisconsin. Oh, I was the
2: biggest Corey Davis fan, man. I hyped him yeah. up. To, I, I called him Randy Moss, I think, at one point. I mean, I hyped him up. Oh, gosh. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, that is embarrassing. I hyped I'm him. not putting you down. I mean, I got some on this list that are embarrassing, too. But, I mean, that's what I mean. Like. People thought Corey Davis was going to be something and he just didn't manifest with the uh, Tennessee Titans. But I saw Mill Wisconsin, Western Michigan play in that. And uh, the, you know, what the hell? It was like on January 2nd. So the 2017 Cotton Bowl. So there wasn't one in 2016. There was just 2015 and 17. Or... Anyway. <laughs> um, Next one, Felix Jones, for obvious reasons, because go hugs, baby. Was, yeah, because he was from Booker T. Washington in Tulsa, um, where I, you know, went to college just outside of uh, T town. Also, he was an Arkansas Razorback. I thought he was going to have a thousand yards a couple of times in his career and propel Dallas to a Super Bowl. Okay, I had high Whoa. expectations, of Felix Jones. <laughs>
2: Remember the Wildcat he used to play?
1: Uh, yeah, that was actually Tayshard Choice that was in the Wildcat. Oh, he yeah. no, no, was in the formation. The a
2: times. Yeah,
1: they... yeah, he didn't. Yeah, but it was for, in 09, Tayshard Choice took those snaps.
2: It was called the Razorback Package, I think. Mm,
1: yeah, yeah. Here's what's funny about it is at Arkansas under Gus Malzahn, they called that the Wildcat when it was uh, he was the offensive coordinator, when they should have called it the wild hog right there. You know?
2: what? The wild hog is one up of our rivals.
1: Are yeah. we calling it the wild cat in the LSU and all this stuff? Why are we calling it the wild cat? Call it the wild hog, for goodness sakes. But, um, yeah, I, I had hopes for Felix Jones, and it really all went downhill uh, after... He got injured in week two against the New York. You could say when he had that toe injury or whatever against the Arizona Cardinals, but it was actually, in my opinion, week two of '09 when he got injured on a really long run uh, against the Giants. That's no, it wasn't. I'm sorry, it was the Carolina Panthers week three on Monday Night Football, first win in the AT&T Stadium history for dallas and that's what did it. he had a really long run near the end of the game and he got injured that was it and he just caught the injury prone label never shook it and just was one of the guys in the backfield as opposed to the feature back and uh yeah the felix jones
2: big play type of guy at the offense line of course it wasn't necessarily where it is or where it has been for the Cowboys at the time that he came in, and you know that's part of the reason why you know, they never took full advantage of his playmaking ability. But he didn't do as much to help himself either, I don't think. And yeah, you know that's why he he ends up on you. Your list the same here again. Mine was Parsons, Donovan, Wilson, Leighton Van Der and Ryan Switzer. So not much better.
1: Uh, let's see. I got
2: two more to go to
1: match you um before we get to that I want to share a frustration though with the with Felix Jones in a playoff game. Now, Dallas was trailing the Minnesota Vikings 17 to 3 in the 2009 NFC wild uh divisional at the Metrodome, okay? And they go This is the first Dallas drive of the third quarter, 12-53 in the third quarter. A pitch to Felix Jones for 17 yards left in. Then Felix Jones right tackle for nine. Merriam Barber left guard for eight yards. They're at the Minnesota 23. And then they toss to Marion Barber for a seven-yard loss, seven <laughs> second and 17. Romo throws a three-yard dump off to Martell's Bennett. Third and 14, Romo gets sacked. Sean Swisham misses the field goal, oh. a 49-yard field goal. And, I mean, it was just the jailbreak after that. So that's So that's, like, one of my Felix Jones memories, too.
2: Please tell me you had, like, the pro football reference play log open as you went through that, and you don't have every player to drive memorized.
1: No, but I had enough of them to know where to find it. Um, But the third guy on my list is Morris Claiborne. I really thought that he was going to be something. He was the first defensive player of the 2012 draft. They gave up first, second, and some more uh, to talk to the St. Louis Rams,
2: and he could be a my list. Less
1: needs first draft, to be honest with you. And they go up, they get Claiborne, and he's injury prone.
2: Yeah, he could be a my list as well. You know, Claiborne was here with high hopes. He filled an immediate need. It was an obvious like move where the Cowboys weren't going to sit back and try to address cornerback. They wanted to go get their guy, and a lot of teams thought Claiborne could have been their guy, but. You know, when you're the team that makes the move, you, you got to live with the results. And so they certainly lived with kind of hitting a plateau pretty early in Morris Claiborne's career. And then they paired him with Brandon Carr, who is also probably the reason why you haven't made some big free agent signings, you know. So between trading up in the draft and signing big free agents Morris Claiborne and Brandon Carr were your examples of why that hasn't happened much in Dallas after them. And, you know, to their credit, they did – hang in and start quite a lot of games together, but it was a plateau, like I said, where you never knew, you know, you knew it wasn't going to get a whole lot better, and teams could certainly have their way, uh, you know, without much of a pass rush. the Cowboys had at the time either throwing against those guys and drawing penalties, and there's too many things you couldn't live with uh, in both of their games to really be as successful as you wanted to be on defense, but they did have that pairing for a while, so at least there was continuity and things like that, and Claiborne uh, ended up going on to the New York Jets.
1: Yeah, and uh, with Claiborne and Gar, they started – so 2012, that's Rob Ryan, and then 2013, you switch over and you go to the Tampa 2 with Monty Kiffin and later Rod Marinelli, but same thing. Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, they were guys that uh, really had to switch things up uh, despite the continuity that they had. Uh my final guy on the list is David beeler, the kicker that they took in the two thousand and nine draft. I thought he was going to be uh, who, legatron who scouts kickers <laughs> me <laughs> I, I i thought uh, he was i thought he was gonna be legatron. I thought that. He was going to be a dynamic special teams player, you know, the gunner and all that. You
2: get, you get thought, what you deserve for scouting a kicker. Beyond, just, yeah, beyond just pulling. Hey, up I wanted no.
1: Hey, I wanted Mason Crosby. No, you didn't. In 07. No, you didn't. I wanted him in 07. and when the Packers got him, I thought, well, dang. I guess it's more Martin Gramatica, you know, who's hey, okay. Well, hey, I don't this, think he broke this team, anything. But.
2: This team needs a kicker in the worst way, way right now. So, apparently, you're watching a lot of kicker tape. Who can uh, who can I get on this On in my mind? I mean, there?
1: somebody's got to. Um, but, yeah, that was my guy. And then, you know.
2: I, I you know, he
1: just couldn't make field goals. And that's kind of what does it to you.
2: I had a big Google spreadsheet that I did all my draft rankings on for 2018, the year I attended the draft. And it was a collaboration with a friend who I attended the draft with. And he went in there one day and we had like a whole, we got pretty into it. We had like a little color code system for the tags. You know, green was the first round. And I just figured, and it was like red was a third round or something. It was just random colors beyond green being the obvious choice for first round. And I think red was fifth round because just to make the board look nicer, my friend went in there one day and he had he had the editing access on the spreadsheet, right? And he he just looked up the kickers and basically just copied and pasted all the kickers and put them all with a fifth-round tag. And it was a public seat. We had a link to it where fans on Twitter could hit it and see it and, you know, take a look at our rankings. And I remember we got a reply one day. <laughs> Just are those are those kicker grades, Sean? And I had to tag my friend back into the into the friend. I'm like, yeah, it was Nick who did it. It wasn't me. I didn't grade the kickers.
1: Yeah. Now, I, actually, we know it was me. Um. So then, an honorable mention is Matt Johnson, the fourth round safety they took. I believe unicorn.
2: Huh. He's the unicorn guy. That was the nickname. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Okay. Now watch this though. This is the only reason why I mention it is because he was struggling. Let's see. Uh. Yeah. Go so going into 2013. Okay. So he missed his rookie season because he had an injury and all this kind of stuff. And so I go. I get credentials to go cover that the home run derby thing that they that the Cowboys used to do for the Salvation Army. We'll see if they bring it back this year. Uh now that things are starting to open up a little more, but I go to uh I, I go to that event they had it at the Rangers Ballpark, Ballpark in Arlington and uh I I see Mickey Spagnola and I go to up to Mickey Spagnola You know, because you hear him on the radio and he's always, you know, uh, saying really positive stuff, let's say, about the Cowboys. And so I share with him that the how Matt Johnson's career, you know, starting out with the injury and he was taken 135th overall And that's comparable to Don Perkins because he was taken in the 106th pick overall and he missed his rookie season because he got injured and all this kind of stuff. And I was basically selling Mickey Spagnola on how Matt Johnson could have a career like Don Perkins and finally be the Cowboys safety. And he just looked at me like... I was cerebrus with more heads than cerebrus, who just <laughs> got his ticket, his passport punch from Mars. And he was like, well, oh, okay, if, thank if, you. I'll look into that.
2: From what I hear, you know, if it makes you feel any better, and this is just from what I hear though, I haven't worked in person in the Dallas market. You know, you're not the only person to catch that type of look from Spagnola. But...
1: Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that that's that's my Matt Johnson story. All right, let's go ahead and get to Cowboys birthdays, where you can reminisce more about old cowboys that did or didn't do anything with their careers. Ah, uh, Kenny Gant, he's on Monday, turns fifty-five years old. The Shark, he won two Super Bowls with Dallas. He was a key special teams contributor, played safety along with Bill Bates, and on Wednesday. Anthony Fasano from Glen Ridge, New Jersey, Sean, turned 38 years old. Dallas took him in the second round of 06, and then they trade him, like I said, right before the 08 draft. Uh, But, yeah, do you have any Anthony Fasano memories?
2: Not really. I'm just going to say that I'm proud that we got both a Sopranos and a New Jersey name drop in the same episode.
1: I got to tell you, I actually – I've never – watched an episode of The Sopranos. What I've done is I've read the synopses on Wikipedia, uh, and I've watched clips on YouTube, and so that's how I've been able to piece it together, uh, just because I can't watch a whole episode of that much uh reality, let's say. On Thursday, Tony Romo, Antonio Ramiro Romo, turns 42 years old, uh... What's your best Tony Romo memory?
2: Oh, that's an impossible question. Um, Let me
1: let me. What's your best like in person Tony Romo memory, including a game you saw that he played live?
2: Like in person, being at a game. um, That's hard. Yeah, I mean, one of my anyone that follows me knows he's one of my favorite cowboys, probably of all time at this point. My favorite quarterback. uh, You know, just so many such a competitor and, you know, made the team relevant right during the time that I was understanding the game and watching it and being a fan of the Cowboys. One of my college uh, sports media professors, um, you know, knew I was such a big Cowboys fan, of course. And the day after his press conference where he basically, you know, said that Dak Prescott deserves to be the starter going forward in 2016, the day after I had her class, right, and I show up in a Tony Romo color rust jersey. And I don't think she I think she was going to do this regardless. He definitely had it planned. But I was sitting right in the middle of a very small classroom, real intimate class, and she pulled up DallasCowboys.com on the projector and made me sit through watching most of that press conference again and then – give my thoughts on it to the class. And it was a – that's a, so that's a horrible memory. I know, I know you asked for a good memory, um, but that's a that's a bad note. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, happy birthday goes out to Tony Romo because without him keeping the Cowboys relevant, you know, I'd still be a fan. But it'd be tough to say, you know, man, I almost have no good memories. But thanks to him, uh, you know, there's a lot of good moments that you can remember the the drop snap against the Giants where he picked it up and threw the game when he touched down. I was watching that game with a Giants fan so he was very very upset and I was in jubilation so that's one that I remember um, and the list goes on and on
1: by the way that was week one 2015 and Brad Sham missed that particular broadcast oh really and Vern Lundquist filled in and normally I'm the type of guy that I'll be honest with you if it's there's okay how do I say this um, when the A-team on Fox, or really any team, just in general, on television, I mute it, and I turn on Brad and Babe. Um, and one of the but there's very few that make me turn down Brad and Babe, and that's Alan Chris and Jim and Tony. Well, on week 1 oh, uh, 15, I turned down Alan Chris for Vern Lundquist and Babe, because I had to hear Vern Lundquist do a Cowboys game. Live And that was just so amazing to hear him do that and then get to call a Cowboys comeback, of which he called many with, with Roger Staubach. Anyway, it's just, it goes on and on. I mean, it's always like at the end of the podcast, that's really when all the memories and everything get flowing. So let me get, there's really too many Romo memories that I've got, um, both in person, the games, and so forth, so let me think of... All right, I'll tell one, I'll tell one. The first time I met Tony Romo was at the Salvation Army thing where they go to the Carr P. Collins Social Service Center in Dallas on Harry Hines Boulevard, right across from Parkland Hospital, and they all, you know, it's like the... <laughs> Monday, 10 days before Thanksgiving type of thing. And they always serve the Thanksgiving meal to the clients there. I was with Jordan Ross. This was He was like my photographer. And we go there, and I get a picture of him and Romo. And that was cool because I made sure, boom, at least uh, Jordan gets a picture with Tony Romo. You know, so... That, that's my memory. All right, moving on. Saturday, just for the lulls, Cletus Gordon. Cletus. Uh, he played for the Cowboys in 09 as a cornerback. He turns 40 years old. And also on Saturday, as a cautionary tale to why you cannot blow the draft and you have to value the draft picks, no matter what, Jason Williams, linebacker, played with Dallas from 9 to 2010 turns 36 years old. He was part of that horrendous draft where Dallas didn't even pick until the third round, and it was basically basically the special teams draft, and none of those guys remained. And if you want to hear talk on this network to try to identify who can help Dallas this year, listen to talk in the draft with Connor Livesay and Mark Schofield on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. You can find it same as you can find the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher.
2: Yeah, those guys are both real plugged in into the draft, and we're getting close here, and we're getting a real close picture of where the Cowboys might go. So if you keep following the breadcrumbs and take a listen to that show, I think you're going to be in a really good place come draft night.
1: Follow the – is that like another scouting term, follow the breadcrumbs?
2: No, I've, have you never heard that before?
1: No, I was just wondering. I've heard it relative to Hansen and Gretel, but <laughs> I was wondering if it was like another scouting term.
2: Challenge accepted. I'm trying to work that into a scouting report, though. I will. If you read my work at boys.com, I promise I will, I, I will do my best to work a follower the breadcrumbs into there.
1: You know what would be great is if you found phrases from fairy tales. You know, Mother Goose Tales and so forth, and you worked them into scouting reports.
2: I think Dame Bruegel has done that a few times, maybe not like fairy tales, but there was like a couple of times where, you know, his draft guide is like, you know, 600 damn pages or something. So you have some wiggle room to work a line in there or two as an Easter egg if you want to. And he's done that before just to see like the diehard fans who might find it. And then when they do, they'll, you know, put it out on Twitter and, I forget what the line was one year, but he definitely worked in some, I think it was like the guy that he wrote right after one of his kids was born. And the line came from one of like the, the books that he would read the kid at night. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I just spent way too much time with that book when I had two crying babies here. And so that's why it ended up in one of the scouting reports. So stuff like that uh, you know, does make its way in the draft season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great uh all right sean let's go ahead and wrap it up here you can follow me on twitter at the real mark lane where can they follow you
2: at sean martin nfl uh, as always appreciate all the fans that have been along for the ride over there you know i posted on my instagram the other day and uh you know i, d- I did the little connect the twitter thing even though that doesn't really do anything for instagram but nonetheless i posted that this past week or so marks uh, one year for me being here in Austin, Texas. And it's been a year full of a lot of different change, of course, and a lot of growth with different things. And I didn't come down here with the goal of getting back into doing any type of Cowboys media work. You know, I had a feeling some people like OJ were going to reach out and try to get me to do it once I came here. But it wasn't my goal like, oh, I'm doing this because I want to do Cowboys stuff again. But I let it come to me and, you know, seeing the passion that RJ had for trying to get me on to uh, on to the staff here certainly helped make my decision pretty easy for me in terms of wanting to do this and this podcast has been a lot of fun. So over on Twitter, you know, I, I know I have fans that have been following since I still did this some other way in New Jersey and, and so now we're building the following here in Texas, which is pretty cool as well. So at Sean Martin NFL and uh let's get this thing ready for the draft.
1: Yeah, he let the board come to him with regards to his life um you you can hear me this tuesday on the btb roundtable again it's going to be a hog a longhorn and two aggies on the btb roundtable you can catch on all the blog and the boys uh channels and uh
2: well, we gotta we gotta get another longhorn in there man i can't let the longhorns get out number buddy aggies hey being Austin, look i'm it?
1: looking at the spreadsheet now ninth the april 19th i'm signed in for that there's two open slots
2: yeah i might have to hit up rj and get in here
1: yeah yeah definitely okay all right so there it is